This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. I'm Ryan Kennedy, joined by Ken Campbell. Matt Larkin's on vacation. Stephen, the producer, on the ones and twos today. And the trade line is getting perilously close, particularly when you recall that there will be some quarantining for traded players. So we might see a little more action um, sooner than later this year. And so, Ken, I wanted to get into a couple of teams that all of a sudden find themselves in some interesting situations. Do they sell? Do they buy? Do they stand pat? Kind of depends on the teams. I want to start with the Florida Panthers. Obviously, the big story out of Pantherland, Aaron Ekblad with that really nasty injury is going to be gone 12 weeks, which is basically the season uh, at this point. But the Panthers are comfortably in a playoff spot. So should they add at the deadline or stand pat? What do you think? Well, I mean, you, you, you're, you're probably going to be looking to add. Um, but, like, let's, let's get one thing straight. You're not going to replace Aaron Ekblad. You're not. You're just there's nobody out there that is of his caliber and, you know, a right shot defenseman who has an impact in every every area of the ice plays 25 minutes a game. If you think you're going to go out and get a replacement for Aaron Eckblad, you're not. So then you, you know, you sort of go into the secondary market. You look at the Brandon Montours, you look at, you know, sort of guys of, of that ilk, you know, David Savard, who's, who, you know, obviously doesn't have anywhere near the offensive impact that uh, a guy like Aaron Eckblad has, um, you know, you know, there's Josh Manson, maybe in Anaheim, you look there, but you're, you're, you're de- definitely looking at the second tier of guys. And, and I think that's, that's for sure what uh, Bill Zito will, will look into, um, you know, as the trade deadline approaches, um, you know, but, but it's a, it's a really, it's really unfortunate because, you know, he's irreplaceable uh, the way he was playing this year and, you know, 12 weeks, that takes us to the end of June well, they're going to have to go, you know, pretty deep in the playoffs in order to, uh, you know, to get him back uh, in time to be playing this year. Mm, yeah, fair enough. I would, I would like to see them take a swing, uh, especially because you're obviously getting cap relief with, with, with Ekblad out. That's like the one silver lining is you're, you're definitely have, putting him on LTI. Um, I like, and we're also going to talk about Nashville next uh, and the predators make things very complicated because they're now back in the race. But it's like, I wonder if Florida would take a shot at Matias Ekholm, who granted, you know, does not have the offensive of an Aaron Ekblad obviously, but is a very good defensive player where, you know, Florida's in a place right now where could they offer Nashville, say Alexi Heponiemi or, you know, Henrik Borgstrom, who they still retain the RFA rights to, um, even though he's not under contract right now, he's playing back in Finland. You know, maybe Nashville looks at him and says, well, maybe we can get something out of Borgstrom that wasn't unlocked in, in Florida. And, you know, Florida does have their first rounder. So you could put together a nice package for Matthias Ekholm if you thought, you know, that was a player that could really bolster your lineup because you, you know, you do want to try to make a run if you're Florida. I mean, this is a team that hasn't had a lot of playoff success uh, basically since they went to the final all those years ago. Uh, and, and things are going pretty well for them other than this 
catastrophic injury to one of their best players. Um, and that leads me into Nashville. A month ago, they looked dead in the water. All of a sudden, they're fourth in the division. And maybe that says something about that division, but we will leave that for another time. Um, but Nashville right now, they're looking kind of solid. And I believe they only play Tampa Bay like a couple more times this season. Like their schedule is not that difficult. Uh, they play a lot of the bottom feeders in the central. And the teams that they're competing with are really kind of swooning right now. It looks like Chicago has crested and is getting sucked back into the ocean. You know, Dallas still hasn't really like taken on, you know, even though they're technically a, a, about a 500 team, they, they really haven't seized any momentum. So if you're Nashville, what do you do right now? Well, the, the reason why I didn't mention Matias Ekholm in the last part about Florida going for him, because he would be the, the probably the closest thing you could get to an Aaron Ekblad kind of impact guy. But I mean, the reason why I didn't mention him is because I, I don't know how he can possibly be on the market right now. I don't know how you trade him if you're if you're Nashville. If you're in a playoff spot and you know you're going you're you know you're you're in a spot where you might you know you might get in like the the reason why they were talking about you know Matthias Ekholm and Michael Granlund and you know selling off all these parts was they were hopelessly out of the playoff race. Well, now they're back in and they're they're playing better right now. They're playing a lot better. Um, so who knows where they're going to be at the end of the year? Who knows how good this team is going to be 20 games from now if they put it all together? Um, so I, I just I don't know how you can possibly justify to your fan base that you're going to trade a guy like Matthias Ekholm with that on that cap hit with a still a year left on his deal. I, I don't know how you how you can sell that to your fan base. Like I just I don't think you can. I, I think I think he's he's effectively, I think he would be effectively off the market. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, as I said, you know, couching my, my Florida play there with the fact that Nashville is doing better now, I wonder if the Preds, you know, look at their situation and say, you know, we obviously have to make a push for the playoffs, but we are not a real contender. So you hold on to Ekholm but maybe you start, maybe you still listen on Grandland, you know, maybe you see what you can get for Eric Holla. Holla. Um, and, and just try to get an asset or two, uh, you know, because the Predators, they do have some young players coming up. They're not flush with talent, um, but, you know, you got Phil Tomasino on the way up and then Ailey Tolvanen uh, finally starting to put up some like decent numbers in the NHL and, and he's only 21. Yeah. So maybe you found something there that's going to work. So to me, I think, you know, with, your, with Nashville, I, I think you almost become that sort of middle player where you're listening to everything. You know, if you can add something, maybe you do, but you, you really don't want to sacrifice the future because I, I feel like Nashville needs a bit of a reset. It doesn't have to be right now because, you know, I mean, revenue in the playoffs, even if it's just a bit, is going to be yeah. so crucial this year do the pandemic and you know I, I think Nashville can seize on this opportunity at least to at least to have a first round matchup against Tampa Bay <laughs> and uh, maybe get maybe get two or three dates out of it at uh, at your arena uh, but I would I would at least listen um, now you know the next team I want to talk about is the Arizona Coyotes and to me this is a very interesting situation because 
the St. Louis Blues look really vulnerable right now. And Arizona has a chance to, to sneak into that fourth playoff spot in the West. The Coyotes could really use a positive finish this year. It's obviously been uh, really tough. There have been some very negative storylines around the franchise. And then, of course, you have a new GM in Bill Armstrong who wants to get things going in the right direction. So what do you do if you're the Arizona Coyotes right now? Well, I, th- I think you stand pat. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, they're, we know they're not going to be buyers. I mean, they don't have the picks. They don't have any, like, I, I just can't imagine they would be buyers at the deadline. So, I mean, that leaves one, two options, either stand pat or you're a seller. And, you know, if you're going to be a seller, then, you know, you, you can get a lot for Darcy Kemper. You can get something for an Alex Goligoski. You know, if you decide to trade Clayton Keller, I mean, all these possibilities, you know, there's a lot of possibilities if they're sellers. Um, but, you know, I mean, again, how do you justify to people that, you know, you're, you're serious about competing in the league if you're selling off when you're in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a push for the playoffs? That ultimately may or may not be successful. But I think what's more important with Arizona, Ryan, is, is just the fact that, you know, they've got a new GM. They've got some, you know, there's been a lot of negative negativity around that franchise, obviously. But there's a new feel to it. And I, I just, I, and I've been saying this for a couple of years, the Arizona Coyotes have got to get out of this, this cycle where they're a farm team for the rest of the NHL, you know, and and if that means hanging on to an Alex Goligoski and losing them in unrestricted free agency for nothing, then that's what it means. But like at some point, you gotta st- you gotta get rid of that stink, that perception that you know you're developing guys for other teams so that you can sell them off at the trade deadline to get more youth that you're gonna develop and sell off again. You know what I mean? It's just been that vicious cycle in Arizona of being a farm team for the rest of the league. And I think they've got to, they've got to put an end to that. And this is as good a time as any, they've got a new GM, um, you know, they're going for the playoffs. If they get there, great. And, you know, I mean, yeah, you draw Vegas in the first round, which isn't a great matchup, but you know, at least you, 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 you know, you, you accomplish something. Right. You're there at least. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I would agree there. I, I think they probably sort of stick. The only thing I could see them doing Aiden Hill is playing so well in net right now that maybe you can trade a veteran goaltender and try to get back that number one pick that you lost in the draft combine scandal. Um, Or at least you get another second rounder. So, you know, I I think they have two second rounders, but they have no first rounder, no third rounder. So they have essentially two picks in the, let's say the top 100 right now, if you could add another pick to that, it would be really important. And if you, do, if you could do it by trading one veteran goaltender, then I think based on the way Aiden Hill is playing right now, at least you can sort of say to your fans, look, we're not giving up. We're, this is just asset management. We really believe in Aiden Hill. And, you know, I, I know both Kemper and Rantz are on the shelf right now, but, you know, once they come back, um, you know, then you've obviously got an established veteran goaltender as well. So, you know, you're, you're not folding up your tent. You're just saying, look, we're just trying to be smart here. We're just kind of being a little pragmatic. And, you know, hopefully we can outlast the Blues and, and sneak into that fourth spot. And uh, we'll go to a, a big picture, uh, a controversy that we didn't get to address last week because it happened after our podcast. But the Tim Peel hot mic incident. Um, obviously, Tim Peel now, you know, his, his NHL career is finished as a ref. 
And it really brought up issues of game management, you know, refs calling penalties that might be a little ticky tack because they're trying to even things up and, you know, big philosophical conversations in the sport as to, you know, do you call the rule book strictly or do you, you know, do you try to give it some more flow? Um, to me, there's a couple of issues here, you know, one, and I think we'll probably agree on is, you know, what, what is the job of a referee in an NHL game? Is it to call everything by the book or is it to quote unquote manage the game? Uh, and then I also wanted to talk about just the, the impact that this has on the, the future league in terms of gambling, uh, because I think this is a big thing that is uh, only going to become bigger you know, as the NHL becomes sort of more ensconced in that world, taking on partners from uh, the gambling world, particularly online gambling. Um, so let's start with just, you know, what we want from a referee in an NHL game. What's, what's your take on that, Ken? Well, to me, Ryan, what, what concerns me is that there's a lot of people out there who are talking about this as a one-off thing and let's not, you know, let's not change everything because of one guy's mistake uh, in a one-off situation. No, 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 no. To me, this one-off, one-off mistake situation revealed a huge systemic flaw in the way the games are officiated in the NHL. You know, and, and to me, it's to, you know, I mean, Tim Peel has been refereeing since 1999. He's got over 1,400 NHL games. He's got 90 playoff games. He refereed in Sochi. He's, you know, this is a senior guy who's been around for a long time and has refereed a lot of games. Does anybody really believe that, like, a month before his career was supposed to end anyways, this just kind of came to him one night and he decided he was going to do this? No. This is systemic. This is a systemic flaw in the system, in my opinion, and it's got to be addressed. Like hockey, to me, the NHL is the only professional sport where a penalty in October is not a penalty in May, um, where you don't really know how the game is going to be called. You don't know what's going to, you know, you, you know, I mean, a guy, a guy could call nothing in the third, first period and everything in the third period, like, and I mean, don't get me started on goaltender interference. I I've given up. I've essentially <laughs> given up on what exactly constitute constitutes goaltender interference in this league. Um, so to me, I mean, you know, we've been watching this for years. We've been watching guys get cross-checked in the back in front of the net with a referee looking right at it and not calling it to me. There's, you know, I mean, for the NHL to say, yep, we've took care of that problem. We fired Tim Peel and, uh, you know, everything's good. Nothing to see here. No, there's something to see here. And there's got to be some, some, some real accountability on how these games are managed. Yeah. And for me, it comes down to the idea of, you know, letting the players play. You know, my counter argument is always, if you're not calling penalties, players know it and they're going to take liberties. So you are deciding the game. You're just deciding it for the team that is willing to, either, you know, put their toe on the line or go right over the line in order to get a competitive advantage. So I, I never bought that argument of let the players play because, I mean, players are always going to take whatever advantage they can. These are professional athletes. They want to win. You know, if you talk to any successful center in hockey and say, why are you so good at face-offs? They're going to tell you, well, I cheat. 
You know, yeah. like I, you know, I try to get down as quickly as I can. I try to do whatever moves I can to get an advantage. And when they say cheat, you know, it's like not like, you know, horrible, you know, like drug doping cheating. It's just like taking that little extra advantage whenever you can um, to make sure that your team gets possession because that's what you're paid to do. You are trying to win a Stanley Cup. That's been your dream since you were a kid. So that's what you're going to do. And, you know, I, I honestly don't even think it's an NHL problem. It's just a hockey problem in general. You know, there was that fantastic um, NCAA game on the weekend between North Dakota and Minnesota Duluth that went to five overtimes. And, you know, I was watching it. And when even in the first and second overtime, you could say, like, that was a penalty. That was a penalty. That guy's holding him. You know, that's interference. But they didn't call it. They let the players play. I mean, maybe if they didn't let the players play, they wouldn't have had to stay up until two in the morning. Right. Um, so I digress on that remark. But, yeah, I, I think it's, it, it's, it's going to have to come, obviously, from the top down where the league says, okay, boys, call the rule book because players will adjust. I mean, they've adjusted before, whether it was, you know, hits to the head, which I guess they're still learning a bit, Uh, you know, the slashing crackdown, you know, clutching and grabbing after the lockout, you know, it's dramatically down. The the game is completely different than it was in the dead puck era. So players will adjust. It'll take some time. And yeah, you're going to see a spike of penalties, but eventually, you know, you will reach an equilibrium and, you'll get, I I think, a more fair sport where players have to mind their P's and Q's. Mm -hmm. And I want to get into that. The second aspect here, which is, you know, gambling in the sports world, you know, coming to hockey, we're seeing a lot of partnerships uh, between the NHL and uh, either, you know, casinos or, you know, gambling companies. Uh, A lot of it, you know, is sort of data driven, which is pretty exciting. Uh, You know, the technology that, um, you know, puck tracking and player tracking can bring into the world of, of sports betting and just, you know, hockey in general, because fans are excited about that sort of thing. But it occurred to me, and, you know, I know this has come up because of the, the Tim Peel incident, that if you're going to be a sport that is gambled on uh, on a wide basis, and we're talking like NFL football, you know, that sort of thing, even NBA basketball, for that matter, the game has to be seen as as objective as possible. That's why the Tim Donaghy scandal in the NBA rocked basketball because they knew you, you can't have a referee influencing the spread because you have people betting real money on these games. And, you know, I, I don't think that the NHL has a problem like that when it comes to the refs, but this does open up that sort of issue of, um, you know, what does hockey have to do to make sure that, it can be gambled on. And a couple of things that I would bring up right, right away before I get your opinion on this, Ken, is uh, injuries. Yep. You can't say upper body week to week when people are gambling. Uh, if you look at the NFL, their, their injury disclosure is very specific. And that's why, I mean, that's why football is so popular is because people gamble on it. It's a perfect gambling game. Um, and also starting goalies. There are coaches that just love to torture beat writers by saying, I don't know. Ah, You'll see when I figure it out or you'll see when they get the ice. No way can that fly in a gambling universe. I would assume what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you're going to, if you're going to embrace gambling, then you're going to have to, you know, deal with. 
you know, putting their money down on prop bets and, and, you know, on spreads and all this other stuff, you, you just can't have that. And, and, you know, it's funny with gambling, Bob Goodnote used to tell this story a lot. He said back in the, I think it was in the nineties in the early nineties, or at some point when the NFL players went on strike and they had replacement players, um, you know, what happened was the N the NFL was using all these replacement players. Nobody knew who they were. Nobody really cared. So they went to the they went to the gambling places and said, "Look, you you know, can you run a line on these games because that's where that's where the popularity is, right? Like if people can gamble on it, they don't care who's playing. They just want to gamble, right? Yeah. And the, the 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 gambling places said, "Yeah, absolutely. We'll 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 run a line on these games and keep the interest up to 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 increase your leverage on your side." But you know what you're going to give us in return? You're going to give us injury disclosure. And that's how injury disclosure came about in the NFL was because the owners wanted to uh, squeeze the players and have a better bargaining position. So, and they thought they could do that, you know, by saying, Hey, looks, people are still betting on all these games. People are still watching them uh, because there's replacement players in it. We don't need you. And so that's how, that's how injury disclosure came in the NFL. And I would assume it's going to be the same in the NHL. I mean, the NHL signed a, a, a deal with sports bet. They're the official betting partner of the, of the league. Um, the Washington Capitals, I guess are they still call it the Verizon arena in Washington. Sure. Anyways, there's, there's a William Hill sports book in the, in the rink. Mm. Like you can bet on games right there at the, you can walk in, bet on the game, go take your seat and watch the game. You know, I mean, so if you, if, if you're going to embrace it, which the NHL looks like they're completely going to, because they're going to need the revenues coming out of this financial reckoning, then you're going to have to change the way you do things. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see just how entrenched uh, hockey gets with the gambling world in the coming years. I will say it's kind of wrecking hockey Twitter right now because so many writers are, are getting into these daily lines and it's, uh, it's ruining my feed. I don't care about, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't care about your hot take on the Buffalo spread right now. Save it for the actual bookies, but I digress. <laughs> um, final topic which, before we get to the mailbag uh, there's a new Mighty Duck show on uh, on Disney Plus. Now, for me personally, I've never had much of an affinity for the Mighty Ducks franchise. I feel like I was just born at the wrong time where I was, and maybe it's because I was Canadian and I was already playing the sport that, you know, when the first movie came out, I was like, eh, that's, that's kid stuff. Even though I, I think I was only in like, you know, middle school. Um, but, you know, they, they, it's, it was obviously successful, spawned a couple of sequels. Now they've got sort of the, the reboot, if you will. Disney got an NHL team and called it the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Obviously, now they're the Anaheim Ducks after Disney sold them. Um, but do we begrudgingly acknowledge the importance of this franchise? I'm, per, I'm thinking particularly in the U.S., just, uh, you know, getting visibility for the sport and, and growing it in non-traditional markets. What say you, Ken? Well, I'll keep this short and sweet. I've never watched one second of one Mighty Ducks movie. So I, I don't know really anything about the franchise. I know who Gordon Bombay is. He was the coach. And I, I do know about this reboot and all the players, I guess, came back for some kind of photo shoot. And they're all in their like late 30s and 40s now, which is kind of cool. Um, but that's it. That's, that's, that's as far as it goes for me. I have no idea. I, I, I would think that the, the boom in hockey in California has a lot more to do with 
Wayne Gretzky coming there 30 years ago than it does about Mighty Ducks movies. But I assume that there probably are some kids who got into the sport because of that. Um, you know, so that's, that's all good. Um, you know, apparently they're, you know, obviously they're pretty, they're really popular movies and they've, they've stood the test of time. Uh, they're no slap shot, but you know, Hey, nothing is right. Um, so, you know, like I said, I, I really, I don't feel qualified to speak on this. Cause I've, I, like, I, like I've literally never watched one second of one mighty ducks movie. So I have no idea whether they're campy crap or they're actually really good movies or w- what they are. So, but I mean, I, I don't think it can hurt. That's for sure. I mean, as you say, you know, Disney got a franchise. Disney is now part of the ESPN uh, deal with the NHL. So there's some growth opportunities there. I certainly don't see any downside to it. I can offer an opinion. Yeah. Oh yeah. oh yeah, go because Steven, you're you're younger than we are, so, so jump the, in. The first movie came out right before I was born, but it still was a series that was getting a lot of attention still when I was was growing up. So it was one of the first movie series I actually watched. Um, it's Turn your camera on, Steven, if you're going to talk. <laughs> I I, I you, no, because they got to re-edit the video way hard. It's way harder to edit the video. Just accept that I'm there. Um, so the thing about the series is you're going in there and. You're not expecting a true-to-life hockey movie. You've got kids taking like penalty shots with no helmets on. Cross-checking from 10-year-olds is like the only thing you could do. Um, full crowds with thousands of people watching a oh, Pee Wee okay. Hockey League game. It's like some unrealistic parts, but when you look at it, it's it's still fun. And yeah, it's not the same. Like my favorite hockey movie is Miracle. And, and Slapshot, obviously, it's, it's got its legacy. But this series is like, it, seem, it is definitely looking for a different market. And when I've talked to a lot of, uh, actually recently I talked to someone for a story um, from Iceland and I was like, so like Iceland in the second movie is like the enemy. And like, what's like, what does this movie mean to you? And they actually said, well, like nobody in Iceland actually played hockey. Like we didn't even have a hockey team at that point. Um, So, so many of the players saw that movie, saw this is cool and actually decided to play hockey because of the second Mighty Ducks movie. Uh, didn't exactly pick off in Trinidad and Tobago, which was another rival in that movie. Um, but um, it's, you know, it's, 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 it serves its purpose. It looks for the younger kids, but it's like the new series. It's, it's enough of nostalgia for the, the people who did watch the original series and enough of this is fresh and new and actually quite good. I watched it with my girlfriend who doesn't like hockey and she actually really enjoyed it. And so it serves this purpose. But I do say this, the fact that ESPN and Disney are involved in the NHL now could mean we're seeing we, we could see some NHL player cameos, which I think would be pretty big for uh, for fans in the series because the original movie had Mike Medano and uh, can't recall who the other player was and, and they got a lot of airplay. So, you know, if you're going to get the NHL players involved, I think that's a good thing. There you go. Uh, for me, I've only seen the first one and I actually watched it like a couple of years ago because I thought, you know, like I had, you know, small kids at the time. I was like, yeah, maybe you guys would like this. And uh, they thought it was fine, I guess. For me, I didn't like it, but I was excited that Foggy Nelson from Daredevil played uh, the kid that they find on the street that has like the big slap shot. So that was like fun for me. I will say, you know, if you want to watch a really good hockey show, uh, Beartown, which is out now, 
which uh, takes place in a northern, like a small northern Swedish town. It's like an HBO Europe show that you can get here in Canada. It's super hard to watch because there's some some really tough themes in it, yeah. but it's actually really good. And a lot of the players on this Swedish junior team actually played. Like if you go to Elite Prospects and look them up, they're there. So that's kind of fun. So shout out to Beartown. I've, I've read I've read Beartown. I've read that book. And there you it's, go. It's it's terrific. <laughs> like it's a yeah. I, I the way I described it was if you if you like hockey you'll really like this book if you hate hockey you'll really like this book that's a good way to put it yeah i also kind of wonder if it's supposed to be modo yeah 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 well that that would that would that would that 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 tracks yeah yeah exactly with with uh with marcus naslin or peter forsberg as petter anderson yeah um okay so let's go to the mailbag now got a couple of nice questions here the first from sir hawk a lot and he asks hey guys what was the path you took to get into sports media. Okay, I'm first on this. Yes. Well, I, I pretty pretty conventional path. Um, you know, it's probably not that exciting. I went to university, got a degree in journalism, and then went on my way. And but I'll tell Sir Hawk a lot. I'm assuming that you're looking to get into the business here and looking for some advice. So I'll give that to you now. Um, I'll tell you what I told what I've told every intern that's ever come through the hockey news and what I tell all young journalists is get a job anywhere. If, if, if the Moose Jaw Gazette wants to hire you, don't ask them how much they're paying. Don't ask them what you're going to be doing. Don't go in with any expectations. Just go in and get your reps. You know, Bob McKenzie started at the Sioux star. You know, everybody starts somewhere. Frank Orr, one of the giants in this industry, started the Cornwall Standard Freeholder. My first job was at the Timmins Daily Press. You know, you don't go in thinking I'm going to be the next this. You go in just thinking I'm going to, I've got a lot of passion for this, for this game and for, for sports and for writing. And I want to, I want to exploit it and make the most of it that I can. And then everything sort of falls into place from there. The two things to me are ambition passion you've got to have a passion for what you're doing because you know i mean we make you know i I mean i've done okay financially but i'd i'd have done a lot better if i'd gone to law school (laughs) you know um you're not doing it for necessarily for the big money or the prestige you're doing it because you're passionate about what you're doing and you, you you know you want to you want to keep following that dream Right on. Yeah, that's very good advice. Uh, I also went to journalism school, uh, a slightly better one than Ken. I went to Ryerson. Oh, 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 was Ryerson still a high school when you went or did they have, did they become a university while you were there? Oh, it was a university. Oh, is it? Yeah. It, it, it was, was no cool. longer Rye High. Yeah. yeah. Rye high but it was, it was close. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Carlton wanted me to go there. They were offering me money to go there. And I was like, sorry, I'm going to Ryerson. I'll, I'll pay to go to Ryerson rather than get paid to go to Carlton. Yeah, um, that but anyways, so yeah, so I went, I went to journalism school and then I actually, I actually did some freelancing for a while after that, just like magazines and newspapers, whatever I could, um, before catching on at the hockey news. I started off as freelance with the hockey news and then became a staffer, but you know, my, I think Ken gave some great advice. My advice would be uh, to, f- to find a niche, uh, you know, especially today in journalism. Uh, you know, if you can find something that you can really dig into, 
then you can kind of carve out your own space. And, you know, I mean, for me, that was prospects, but, you know, it could be fantasy hockey. It could be college hockey. It could be women's hockey. It could be data-driven hockey. Like we see so many people right now in analytics and I mean, some of them, you know, started off kind of as bloggers, not so much journalists, but they were bloggers and got hired by NHL teams, uh, which is fantastic for them. And then, you know, you have other folks that are, are doing that kind of new data-driven journalism and, and getting jobs for that. So, you know, try to, I, I would say, try to distinguish yourself, you know, really immerse yourself in one part of the game and, uh, and, and go from there. Um, so there's some advice from a couple of salty old veterans for you. Uh, next question from Stanley Shaft. Shaft. Uh, Patrick Line, something has to give here, right? What's wrong with him? Ken, you can start off this one. He just seems really sour. They, they had a, there was a, um, there was a clip of, uh, of a recent Columbus Blue Jackets win, which, you know, is rare footage in and of itself lately. Boom. Like um, but they, they showed everybody coming into the room, doing the high fives. Everybody was happy. You know, Nick Felino is all excited and all these other guys. Domi's got a big smile on his face. Patrick Liney comes in with the big long face and just does the high five and goes to his, his stall. So he's obviously not really happy. I, I, the one narrative I'm not going to buy, I, I'm not buying here is that this guy doesn't work, that, that this guy's not prepared to do the work. And that he's, you know, he's kind of loafing and, and not playing defense. This guy works. He works hard. He's proud. He's, he's a good player. Uh, it's just doesn't seem to really have like, you just, I don't know. I mean, he, you know, you get to the point where it's like, well, you wanted out of Winnipeg and you got out of Winnipeg. Now you're in Columbus. You're not happy there. Where, what is that? What exactly is it going to take for you to be happy? You know? And, and like in Winnipeg, he, you know, in terms of on ice production, look at the centers he had, you know, look at the people he had to give him the puck. He doesn't have anybody in, in, in Columbus to get him the puck and in, in, in scoring areas. And that's to me, a big reason why they're, why they're not able to exploit his talents is because he gets to the areas he's ready to, to shoot. He's locked and loaded, but there, nobody can get him the puck, you know? So obviously he's going to, his his numbers are going to suffer but to me i i think patrick liney's got to sort of take a bit of a look inward and sort of start to wonder is you know is is the problem me because you know i i sulked my way out of winnipeg now i'm sulking here you know i i i've got to make it make it work somewhere whether it's here as a restricted free agent on a bridge deal or you know another bridge deal or something you know does john tortorella come back next year that's probably a big factor as well, you know, who's going to be coaching this team next year. So, but I mean, Patrick Line, I think has to kind of, has to kind of, you know, suck it up buttercup and, and start to maybe uh, take some of this on himself. Yeah. I mean, I said this when the trade happened and you just mentioned it right now, you know, like who's getting Patrick Line the puck. I mean, Columbus, traded away their most talented center in that deal, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, I, I didn't understand the, the trade from Columbus's perspective. Um, obviously, you know, anytime you can get a super talented player, you want to do it. But if your team's not set up for it, then you're putting yourself in a bad spot. And I, I feel that, yeah, right now, this is not the place for Patrick Line. And, you know, 
I agree with you, Ken, that the Winnipeg situation didn't work out and it didn't put him in a great light, but I don't blame him for the Columbus situation because, you know, you can't put a plow on a show pony. That's got to be an old time expression, right? I don't think Why so. Not? Maybe not. <laughs> but anyway, you get my point. It works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, Columbus plays a specific style of hockey and Patrick Laine doesn't fit into that. It, it just it just doesn't play to his strengths. And I mean, he can adapt. I mean, he is a big body, um, so he can adapt. But then you're taking away what makes Patrick Laine special. So I, I think something has to give there. And whether it's John Tortorella leaving and the roster, you know, taking on a new formation or them dealing Patrick Laine and getting a player that makes more sense for the style of play they have, uh, I believe something's got to give uh, because it's not working right now. And uh, wingers can drive lines too, right? Like wingers can drive lines. And, and to me, it's, it's got to get to the point where Patrick Liney's got to look at himself and say, okay, how do I make players around me better rather than relying on these guys? And, and the problem with Patrick Liney is, is he's not in a position in his career or in an age in his career where he can choose where he goes. So, you know, to me, you can't sulk your way out of one place and then go to another place. And it's like, well, yeah, I wanted to get traded, but not, not here. You right. know, like, I mean, like, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, at some point you gotta, you gotta pick it up yourself. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I feel this season has been a real monkey's paw for a lot of folks where it's like, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, I wish I was out of Winnipeg. It's like, fine. You're in Columbus with John Tortorella or with Jack Eichel. It's like, I wish I was surrounded by talent. It's like, okay, you get Taylor Hall and Jeff Skinner, but neither of them can score. And then Ralph Kruger coaches you. So it's just like, everything's going wrong for people that had high hopes. Um, Final question of the mailbag. This is tangentially related. Another player who's struggling right now. Damien asks, okay, now Jack Hughes is back to struggling now should we be concerned? Ken, I'll let you go first on this one. What do you say about the fine young man from New Jersey? Absolutely not. No, you should not be concerned. The least of my concerns right now among players who would be struggling would be Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes is in the second year of the league. You know, if, if, he's str- if, if, he, we, if there's a full season next year, you get 50 games in and he's still struggling then you start to get concerned because year three to me typically is the year when elite players make that jump that you really notice. Right. Mm. Like he, he struggled last year. He came in, he, it looked like he was doing a lot of great things at the beginning. He added some weight and muscle and all those other things that he, we all knew he needed. Um, And he was looking pretty good. And now he's, now he's, he's not producing much of much of anything at all. Uh, for the New Jersey Devils. Um, but I, I wouldn't be worried about him. I think the kid's got his head in the right spot. I think his, you know, I think he really wants to be better. He wants to win. He wants to, you know, become the player that everybody thinks he can become. And uh, I, I would look for a, a, a jump next year because year three, for whatever reason, you know, I mean, Guy Lafleur struggled for two years and then in year three, he was a different player. You know, you see it with a lot of guys and, you know, I keep going back, you know, Joe Thornton had six goals in his first year. So um, I wouldn't be too worried about Jack Hughes at the moment. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's still tied for fourth in Devils scoring with Kyle Palmieri. Um, I think he's 34% on faceoffs, which is obviously dreadful, but with time, with more strength, 
you know, with more uh, muscle mass, with more practice, that's obviously going to come up. So I, I agree with you. I, I see a player right now who, if anything, he's a, he's a bit lucky in that he's getting these segments of seasons because his rookie year wasn't a full season either because of the pandemic where he's slowly getting into things, learning as he goes. And, you know, I mean, I've spoken to him on this, like he saw last year, it, it wasn't frustrating for him. It was a learning experience. He knows how young he is. And he knows that the more games he accrues, the better he's going to get. So this is all part of the process. And uh, Jack Hughes is fine with it. So that is the end of the mailbag. We are going to wrap up, as always, with the rapid fire. This is, this is classic rapid fire because the first time we did it was also when Matt was on vacation. So it was just me and Ken. Obviously, Ken, you will answer first because I am the rapid fire master. Does Steven get first question. Even taking part in this, or is he is producer Steven? I'm in. I'm in. You in? Okay. Okay, good. All right. All right. So, Ken, you'll answer first. Steven, you'll answer second. First question The cars versus the doors. Whose career would you have rather had? Well, both the lead singers are dead. Uh, Jim Morrison died a lot earlier than Rick Ocasek did, but. I mean, I, you know, I mean, for me, the cars are an iconic eighties band. And so I, I would, I, you know, I'd be the car for me. It'd be the cars in a second. All right, so, Steven, what say you? So both bands are way, way, way before I was alive, but I actually like the cars music. So I'm going to go with them just cause I can actually listen to them. Okay. You are both correct. The answer is the cars, uh, <laughs> not only because they had a longer career, but also much more influential tons of bands, uh, crib some of the things that the cars came up with. Nobody wants to sound like the doors. Uh, second question. When will the Sabres win again? N- never. Like if they didn't win last night, I mean, you're up three, nothing. And oh my God, that was painful. That was absolutely painful. They play Philly again. They're not winning then. Oh, uh, I don't know. October 28th, 2021. I don't know. Like, my goodness, this is Fair. a tire. Steven. I'm going April 6th against the Devils. Carter Hurt's going to be back. He's going to – or uh, this, uh, Lance Solmark's going to be back, save the team, win. Let's go with that. Mm. Good call. I think it's going to be a weird game that you don't expect. Like, they're going to beat, like, Washington or the Islanders <laughs> where, you know, it's just going to be one of those things where – it's going to come out of nowhere. So that's going to be my prediction. It's going to be a weird one. Next question. Have you ever fired a gun? I have. What I, I fired a gun. I fired, I fired a rifle. In fact, when I was a kid, I went hunting with a friend of mine and his dad and I, he had a 410 and I held it up and I fired it and the kickback got me right in the face and chipped my tooth right here. Ooh. I had a chipped tooth for a little while because of that. But yes, I have fired a i have fired a rifle i don't think i've ever fired a gun uh rifle's a gun that counts uh paintball guns don't count then no okay fair enough i have fired two guns (laughs) one at the knob creek machine gun shootout in kentucky it was an mp5 and once in vegas at a uh, gun store it was a desert eagle 50 it was very fun you shot an mp5 Um, that's actually pretty cool I still have a picture of it. It was my screensaver at work. My my oh, wife took it. Yeah, the yeah the ear, the big ear things on, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Next question. Um, the Minnesota State High School tournament is uh, this week. 
round two of uh, my, my game here. Which of the following three names is not a Minnesota high school uh, mascot or nickname? The Zephyrs, the Mighty Herd as in elephants, or the Spuds? Ken, what do you think? I, I think it's the Zephyrs because I'm, I'm absolutely certain the Mighty Herd are a team. I think I've heard that okay. one before. And the Spuds, okay. I think, are, are – yeah, I'm going to go with Zephyrs. Are the, the one okay. that Steven? I like the name Zephyr, so I'm going with Spud. Okay, you are both wrong. Wow. Uh, there is no team called the Mighty Herd. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. The Thundering Herd is Marshall, the university. Okay. Um, the Matamidi Zephyrs and the Moorhead Spuds, uh, where Jason Blake played. So there you go. Next question. What was the most important goal you ever scored in hockey? Like minor hockey, obviously. Wow. There's... So few. Um, so beer league doesn't count, eh? Beer league doesn't count? No, that counts. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm trying to think. I, I don't know if I've ever scored a really important goal. Uh, I do remember my very first goal, though. My very first goal nice. ever in organized hockey. It was outside, outdoors in Sudbury at a place called Lansing Playground. And I, I was standing in front of the net with the puck. I was playing Adam B hockey and the, the, the net was wide open and I just pushed it in. And I remember, I clearly remember skating around with my stick up in the air thinking, this is the best feeling I've ever had in my life. I feel like I'm the only person out here. And, and it was just so exhilarating. And I really wanted to feel it a lot. Like, like I was like Alex Ovechkin, I want to feel that again. But, you know, I didn't feel it too many times because I wasn't very good. Fair enough. Steven, I scored, scored. I scored a champion, a tournament winning goal on a championship. And I sucked ever, like after that, I, I was never good again. But I scored in triple overtime where oh. you, you could only make a line change on the fly. And it was three on three, which meant we never made a single line change. I was on the ice the entire time. I also did score a goalie goal in a tournament that Connor McDavid was playing in. Nice. Very good. Um, best goal I ever scored was a playoff overtime goal in Mississauga House League against Applewood. I got the puck at the blue line and very slowly, like I just had all the time in the world and I could actually hear all the parents going, shoot, 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 shoot. And I just kept hanging on to it. And somehow I went top corner because I didn't score a lot of goals either, but I had that, I had that winner. So that was my best goal. Nice. Final question of the rapid fire. Uh, obviously we're still in pandemic times. What was the last concert you went to? Um. Van Halen, I think, at the really? center like a long time ago. No, maybe. No, it was probably Billy Joel, actually. Billy uh, Joel at the Scotiabank Center. I paid like six bucks for the tickets on like one of these hub hub kind of things. And my wow. wife and I just made the decision. It was like five o'clock on a Sunday night. The concert was in two hours. And I looked and I said, let's go. So we went and it was great because Billy Joel's great. I would pay six dollars for Billy Joel. That's oh, fair. Yeah. Uh, Steven. I performed with the band 13 Fridays. I actually had just gone back from Ottawa with Matt, like, like an hour before after going to see Ovechkin uh, play. And, uh, in the middle of one of the songs, I stopped the performance because there was a goalie fight between, uh, it was a Cam Talbot and Mike Smith, I believe. And I, we stopped the song so we could watch it on the TV. Very nice. Last concert I went to was power trip in sheer mag RIP Riley Gale. 
Uh, that's it for the rapid fire. That's it for the podcast. Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Hockey News Podcast. Make sure to check out THN.com slash subscribe to get issues of the Hockey News Magazine delivered right to your mailbox.